Hello and welcome. My name is Alice and you are listening to the Backtracker History Show podcast. Crafted by me, a self-confessed history geek who enjoys those stories from the past that might have been forgotten. The Backtracker History Show is first aired on Bradystoke FM in Bristol, England, before being plonked onto the podcast stage for all to enjoy. Now, if you enjoy the show, don't forget to share or leave feedback. It all helps. Keep in touch via either Twitter or Facebook by using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, capital T and a capital UK. Our story today takes part in the year 1939, which was a very big year in history, as the biggest event that year was a declaration of war by the UK or Nazi Germany on the 3rd of September, following Germany's invasion of Poland on the 1st of September. Amongst other things that happened that year, Agatha Christie released her novels Murder is Easy and Then There Were None. Batman, created by Bill Finger and Bob Kane, made his first appearance in Detective Comics number 27 on the 1st of May. Also, in that year, the likes of Dusty Springfield, Tina Turner, and actors John Cleese and some Ian McKellen, as well as the fashion designer Ralph Lauren, were born. But we're thinking about the events that happened on the weekend of the 4th of February. You see, everyone could tell that war in Europe was on the horizon, and the country was preparing for the inevitable. This made the Severn Estuary and River, known as the Severn Corridor, in the southwest of England, an important waterway. This led to a strenuous schedule for all those working the barges, as each load would take three days to get from Avonmouth near Bristol to Gloucester via Sharpness and back. The three tankers in our story were all steel-built, flat-bottomed vessels and were a familiar sight to most people who visited Gloucester Docks or the Quay. 57-year-old Harry Phillips woke up at 4am and got ready to leave the warmth and comfort of his home in Purton. To start a shift. He groaned at another hard day transporting the oil and petrol on his barge, the Seven Pioneer. He said goodbye to his wife, telling her that he would be home by 9pm that evening, as it was a shorter trip that day. His shipmate, George Butler, 35, was already on board, getting everything ready and making the small cabin homely. The Pioneer didn't have an engine, and because of that, it was called a dumb barge. The seven traveller, captained by Tonks, was the lead boat, in charge of the others. The second was a seven carrier, which also had an engine, and that was followed by the seven pioneer. All the barges were owned by the Seven and Canal Carrying Company Limited of Gloucester and Bristol. At 4.45am, 
Albert Tonks, 29, the skipper of the lead boat, the Traveller, gave orders to let go, and all three crafts slowly manoeuvred into Sharpness Lock. Soon they were out on the estuary. They arrived at Avonmouth and loaded up with their cargo, and by 4.30pm they were ready to move off. The Traveller towing the carrier, which was followed by the Pioneer. On that Saturday night, at the time of the accident, they were transporting 250 tonnes of petrol and crude oil between them. The tide at the time was about 30 feet, two feet under its highest of the year. It was said to have been rough at the time with a very strong current. As witnesses would later say, they could see the lights of the barges as they were swept away, and then they heard the crashes. case words is bitter end, which means the last extremity, however painful or calamitous. Now, there's two theories that are usually offered as explanations for the phrase to until the bitter end. One of them suggests that the phrase is derived from the nautical term bitter end. On a ship, the word bitter is used for a term of anchoring line around the bits or the posts fitted to the deck for securing lines. The bitter end is the inboard end of this anchoring line. When the line is paid out to the bitter end, there's no more line, and you are literally at the end of your rope. Another theory holds that bitter end refers to death and traces the phrase to a line in the Bible that reads, But her end is bitter as wormwood, and sharp as a two-edged sword. The suggestion is that death is the ultimate bitter end, and, by extension, any difficult ending or defeat is a bitter end. Now, it seems nautical theory is more likely to the boffins, but they have not reached a consensus on it. There are still those that will stand, by their opinion, to the bitter end. The first of the survivors to tell their story at the inquest was Albert Tonks, aged 29. He identified the body of Reginald Stokes, aged 31, from Gloucester, and then recalled the journey from Avonmouth, which he said they left at 5.15 on Saturday the 4th of February. They had no problems getting to Sharpness and were going with the tide. It was a good trip. It was an extra high tide and they arrived outside the pier at Sharpness at about 7.30. The coroner at the inquest asked Tonks what was the procedure of getting into the harbour and Tonks said that they swung around and put the head into the tide and reversed into the harbour using the tide. The coroner asked whether this was normal to go into the dock when the tide is still with you, and Tonks replied that they did have to wait until the tide slackened. He had gone into the harbour in that way many times before. Tonks continued that the tide had changed before anything untoward happened, and they started going towards the dock on their own power, and both the carrier and traveller were using their engines. The first they realised that something was wrong was when the deckhand on board the traveller, Walter Kapaner, said, This rope is slack. This was a five and a half inch thick rope that was connected to the carrier and shouldn't have been slack as it was ahead of them 
and didn't have the power to pull both itself and the dumb barge to overtake his barge. Tox knew that something was wrong, and they hauled the rope in. That's when they realised that the rope had snapped. Whilst this was going on on the traveller, the crew of the carrier realised that the rope had come adrift. They started their engines to stop them and the Pioneer from being swept away. But the engine wasn't powerful enough to hold both barges against the fast, flowing tide. The traveller had circled round at full speed and came up alongside the carrier. They then threw a tow rope and secured the barge. They were only 300 yards from the Seven Bridge and it was too late for the traveller to get enough power to fight the tide. Tonks described what happened next. We knew that the second barge wasn't strong enough to take the third barge into the docks. I then turned my barge and came up alongside the seven carrier and threw the tow rope to it. The crew caught it and made fast. But while all this was happening, the barges had moved up the river beyond the dock entrance, a distance of about half a mile and towards the seven bridge. We then got in order again, but just as the tow ropes got taut and we began to pull back towards the dock, the Pioneer collided with the bridge and sank. That was when the Pioneer, the last in the convoy, crashed into the bridge and sunk. At that moment, the remaining boats were pulling against the tide. At this point, the coroner got confused, and Tonks had to illustrate the events by using matchsticks. Tonks said he couldn't see what happened to the Pioneer's crew, Phillips and Butler, and he never heard them shout. Then the carrier collided with another pillar of the bridge and partly sank. Her stern went down beneath the cloudy water and her bow came up. Frederick Pinsent of the Traveller said, The carrier struck the bridge. I slipped the tow rope. We then collided with the bridge and heeled over. I was under the water for about a minute. During that time, Capon had disappeared. Eventually, the boat righted itself and I got on board. In the Traveller, Captain Tonks tried in vain to reach the carrier, but his boat was swept over the latter's keel as she capsized. On the carrier were Stokes and Matthews. It was inevitable that the Traveller would follow the others, and it crashed into the same pillar as the carrier. With Kapner and Vincent, Tonks was thrown into the water, but as the Traveller righted itself, Tonks clung to her and pulled Vincent back on deck. After this, in spite of having dropped the anchor, the traveller drifted with the tide until she came to rest on a sandbank about half a mile north of Purton. She was leaking petrol from her sides and the wheelhouse was completely smashed, with the wheel broken away. The engine room was flooded and the cabin was in disarray. Mr W. Tudor was the duty signalman that evening on the Seven Railway Bridge when he felt those vibrations running through under his feet. And while this grim drama was being enacted on the water, Captain G. Owen, the harbour master of Sharpness, ordered the tug Primrose, which was lying in the tidal basin, to set out. It all happened so fast that the normal crew couldn't be assembled, so a scratch crew was gathered to take the tugboat out. They found the pioneer near the bridge, very low in the water, with her crew missing, apparently swept overboard when she turned over. There was little hope of finding them alive as the currents were fast and fierce 
and would have dragged down even the strongest swimmer. Also, remember the accident happened at night. The primrose had to follow the pioneer for nearly a mile as the waters made it difficult to get a landing party on board. Oliver Powell and Cecil Trill were the men who finally managed to get onto the deck, slippery with oil from the cargo. The primrose tug secured the pioneer and towed her to Sharpness, arriving at 10.15pm, and then the fire float pumped water out of her. When she was in a safe condition, she was then secured to the dock. Her listening to one side was the only sign of her ordeal. While the pioneer was being recovered, the carrier and the traveller were being swept up the river in darkness, the carrier with not a living soul on board. I've got a great book of the week for you this week. It's called Disasters on the Seven by Chris Witz, and it's actually been invaluable in my research for today's story. Chris felt that the stories of this powerful estuary had to be told. In fact, he has first-hand knowledge. As a 16-year-old, he got a job on one of the estuarial tanks, and within weeks of starting work on the Seven, he found himself involved in one of the most spoken-about incidents the Seven Bridge Disaster of 1960. So this guy knows his stuff. And what I also like about it is there's loads of pictures in it as well, so you get a real sense of what each story is all about. So there you go, Disasters on the Seven by Chris Witz. Actually, I did get in touch with him last week to ask his permission to use some of his information for this story. And he said he's a great fan of radio. He even listened to the show last week whilst he was in his garage doing some work, and he loved it. So if you're listening, Chris, thank you so much for all your help, and keep in touch. You're listening to Alice on the Backtracker History Show. message from Roy in Hannam after he listened to the story of murder in the woods. Roy is a member of the Hannam Local History Society and he says what a fantastic job you've made of that story. He even asked if there was any more information available. In fact his interest was so piqued that he went there the next day with his brother and took some pictures knowing more about the actual story. And just like Roy, you can get in touch with me too. It's very easy. You can find me on Facebook or Twitter by using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. So now we'll continue with our story about the disaster on the Severn. As Lionel Keedwell, 22-year-old son of the owner of the Barclay Arms Inn on the riverbank at Purton, was going to bed, he saw flashing lights on the river and realised someone was in serious trouble. I was just going to bed when I saw one of the barges in the dusk and heard men shouting. They were flashing lights and I rushed down to the riverbank and went out to them in my boat. 
When I reached the Seven Traveller, I decided I'd better come back for help. I took five men out of me on the second trip, and we took with us food and whiskey for the two survivors. The Seven Traveller had overturned and righted itself. Tonks grabbed Vincent and pulled him back to safety, but Walter Kappner was missing. As he said in his witness statement, he shouted from the bank and heard a faint reply. He then gathered several local men and they set off into the darkness. They eventually found an exhausted Tonks and Vincent on the traveller. Tonks had a wound to his face. They were brought back to the Barclay Arms, where they were looked after. On the Sunday morning, the full extent of the tragedy was shown. The traveller was slightly damaged, but the anchor held her during the ebbing tide. She was leaking petrol and the full extent of her damage couldn't really be ascertained at the time. The carrier had been taken downstream and came to rest upside down near the bridge. On the Sunday, the bodies of Reginald Stokes, 31, of the carrier and Henry Phillips, 57, of the Pioneer were found. They were brought in by boat and placed in a wooden outhouse near the inn. One of them had been wearing a watch which had stopped at 7.10 the time of the accident. The search for the other victims had begun and it wasn't until Sunday afternoon that word went around that another body had been found. Eight to ten men set off across the sands with a wooden makeshift stretcher made from a ladder and trudged upriver. It took two hours for the retrieval as the mud was so deep in parts that they had to drag the stretcher along with ropes. They brought back the body of Matthews and laid in with the others and it was at this point that relatives had come after waking to the sad news. Mrs Stokes, who was left with four children under nine, had been waiting up for her husband in Gloucester until midnight and had only heard the news on the Sunday afternoon. Of the eight men who formed the crews of the three oil tankers which were swept away upriver, from the entrance to Sharpness Harbour by the fierce running tide. Only Captain Albert Charles Tonks of 18 Great Western Road, Gloucester and Frederick William Vincent, an engineer of Zion Cottage in Olverston, were saved by clinging desperately to their stranded barge for several hours. Back to the week time, guys. And on the 15th of August, 1348, the Black Death broke out in Bristol, eventually causing the death of about a third of the town's population. Also on the 15th of August in 1914, the SS Anken became the first ship to sail through the Panama Canal. On the 16th of August 1977, the US popular singer Elvis Presley passed away. On the 18th of August in 1587, 
the first child of English parents to be born in the American colonies, a girl named Virginia Dare, was born. And also on the 18th of August in 1962, Ringo Starr joined the Beatles, replacing drummer Pete Best. Now let's continue with our story. I'll talk about the crew. The deckhand of the traveller, Walter Kapner, was 18 and from Saul. He was a single man who had been with the company for 12 months. Before that, he had worked on the transatlantic ships, Boston City and Toronto City, when he was offered the job of third hand on the tanker barge. Now Granville Colin Knight was 19 and lived with his parents at Saul Farm in Saul. He went to sea just after leaving school and worked on the Queen Mary and other liners. It was his first time working on the Seven's carrier. Henry Phillips, 57 from Purton, was married with two children. George Butler lived in Epney and he was single and had worked at sea for a number of years. He had been with the company for 12 months and had worked ships all over the world. He was a fine swimmer and often swam in the Seven. His body wasn't recovered until 30 days later, in March. Lastly, Jobert Matthews was a single man of 20 and lived with his sister at Brookend. An uncle of Jobert Matthews, also from Brookend, was waiting for more news at Purton on the Sunday. My nephew had just finished his apprenticeship. He had just got this job and was very pleased with it. We were proud that he was getting on so well. When Smith first went to the scene, he didn't realise his nephew had been involved at all. I did not connect it with the family until I was told my nephew was involved. Another crew member who perished was Charles Parton. He was married with two children. As with most events like this, it tugged at the heartstrings of the locals, and a fund for the dependents of those killed in this tragedy was set up by the Seven Motor Yacht Club. As you can imagine, on such a busy waterway, there have been many accidents. On November the 1st, 1884, the Finnis, a Gloucester barge, became a wreck under the Seven Bridge, but there was no loss of life. The barge was commanded by Captain Butt of Gloucester and was loaded with a cargo of 70 tonnes of black stone. At spring tides, it was usual for large quantities of stone to be unshipped and placed around the cylinders supporting the bridge, and that's what Finnis was doing. Unfortunately, the tide changed before the barge could unload its final cargo, and it was damaged so badly it sank. The captain and his two crewmen clambered onto the bridge's girders and clung there until rescue came. Captain Albert Tonks came from a long line of river workers, so it's not surprising that this wasn't his first accident. Thirteen years previously, whilst he was out enduring a Sunday stroll in Colford, a rotted fence gave way and he fell 93 feet to the bottom of a disused quarry. Luckily, he only suffered facial injuries, but those injuries still left scars. It's interesting to note that the Seven Traveller is still going. In 1957, it was converted into a passenger vessel. 
capable of carrying up to 180 people. And now, under new ownership, she's undergoing conservation and will be converted into a houseboat. I hope you guys enjoyed that story. It's a nice, interesting little piece of history from our local major estuary. And once again, a huge thank you to all those that have helped bring the story to life. That includes Marcus KP, Steve Shepherd, and Henry Arnold from Bradley Stoke Radio, as well as my father-in-law, Robert Hall. Henry Arnold does the sports show on a Monday. And as you can imagine, it's been a little difficult with this COVID thing, as there's been no sports. But now we're literally kicking off. He's got a few things to say about his show. The Sports Show with Henry Arnold. Sports history, news and results from local, national and international sports. Mondays, 10am. guys you can get in touch with me alice on the backtracker history show by either using twitter or facebook looking for at backtracker uk with a capital b a capital t and a capital uk or you can email me direct at info at backtracker.co.uk and i always endeavor to reply i was asked the other day what the difference is between ignorance and apathy i don't know and i don't care and now, here's a message from my friends over at the Pretty Nice Podcast. Hey everyone, I'm Andrew. And I'm Mariah. And we're the hosts of Pretty Nice. The weekly podcast where we talk anything and everything. Like horoscopes. Why rain is the worst. Our favorite Broadway musicals. The best songs of all time. Embarrassing Facebook photos. Elevator etiquette. Breakfast revolutions. And a whole bunch of other nonsense. If you love a podcast that feels like you're kicking back with your BFFs or just hanging out and chatting with friends, Pretty Nice is for you. You can check us out on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Buzzsprout, or your preferred podcatcher. We're also online at prettynicepodcast.com, on Instagram at prettynicepodcast, Twitter at prettynicepod, and Facebook at prettynicepodcast. Bye! Bye! Earlier in the show, I mentioned that on the 16th of August, 1977, Elvis Presley passed away. He's regarded as one of the most significant cultural icons of the 21st century, and we often call him the King of Rock and Roll, or simply the King. Born in Tupelo, Mississippi, he moved to Memphis, Tennessee, when he was 13 years old, and a few years later, he recorded a song to give to his mum, he recorded it at Sun Records with Sam Phillips, and then after that, well, the rest is history. His first song was Heartbreak Hotel, which was released in January 1956 and became a number one hit in the United States. He also made his film debut in Love Me Tender 
1956 and he was drafted into the military in 1958, relaunching his career with some of his most successful work. 1968 saw the famous comeback special Elvis and that led to an extended residency at Las Vegas. In 1973, Elvis gave the first concert by a solo artist to be broadcast around the world. Aloha from Hawaii. Unfortunately, years of prescription drug abuse severely messed up his health and he died suddenly in 1977 at his Graceland estate at the age of only 42. In 2005, Forbes named Presley the top earning deceased celebrity for the fifth year straight with a gross income of 45 million. He was placed second in 2006 but then returned to the top spot for the next two years and ranked fourth in 2009. And when you consider he was born in a two-room shack, really, really poor, that is not bad going. His total of 197 albums, certification awards, far outpaces the Beatles' second best at 122. He has the third most gold singles behind Drake and Taylor Swift and the eighth most platinum singles. In 2012, The Spider Paradonia Presley-I was named in his honour and only two years ago in 2018 President Donald Trump awarded Presley the Presidential Medal of Freedom posthumously. listening to me Alice on the Backtracker History Show. Now this podcast has been specially edited from a Bradley Stoke radio show in Bristol England. If you liked it please leave a rating and maybe a comment. If you didn't well let's just leave it at that shall we. I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via Twitter or Facebook using at Backtracker UK with a capital B, a capital T and a capital UK. Or, alternatively, you can email me at info at backtracker.co.uk. By the way, the tune in the background, that's by The Model Folk. You can find out more about them at themodelfolk.com. So thank you so much for listening. And until next time, guys, take care and look after each other. <laughs>